Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History of A.K. Hemingway. Today we are talking about the secrets of Paris, and this might be a multi-part series, so make sure you keep on tuning in because there's so many hidden secret places in Paris, and I'll let Claudine take it from here. Yeah, these really are some of my favorite things. And I put this together, I think in like, I mean, this was pre-COVID days when I wrote this. Um, I wrote a bunch of these for an online magazine. And then I always refer to these in my live tours when I give them in, in person to with people um, and all over the, the place in Paris. And so I was like, why not put these all together to share with everybody else? I mean, everybody wants to know all the secrets, right? Yeah, and there is a lot of them. And so we are going to kind of, this first one is going to be, a, a lot of them are going to be around, guess where? The Louvre. <laughs> Your favorite. And, yes, around the Louvre and over on the right bank. And so we have a few of these. There's so many that I have that we definitely have to split these into a few episodes. But we'll start with one that we've actually talked about these a few times before when we've done some specific neighborhood areas. But these are the first one I'd love to share is the Arago markers. And I've been talking about these um, on my Instagram for probably eight years now. And I love them. And I love to go out and find them. And anytime I come across them, I always stop and take a picture. But every picture looks the same because the brass markers are all the same. That later when I look at it, I'm like, I don't even know where this is. But <laughs> if you go around Paris... And you've seen the mo the movie, The Da Vinci Code. These are going to be familiar to you because they are these brass medallion markers that are imprinted with the name Arago. And they have a little north and a little N for north and S for south on them. And they go for nine kilometers through Paris and it marks the ancient Paris meridian line. And they all sit on this exact line. And so what this was is that long ago... The um, the meridian line, we all know it as a Greenwich meridian line, but the first meridian line actually went through Paris. And so this is what this is marking. In 1994, the Arago Association commissioned an artist named Jean Debay to create a memorial to Francois Arago, the 19th century French astronomer and mathematician who map mapped out the meridian. Um, in the Da Vinci Code, they have this and they call it the Rose Line. Um, and you see like in the book that Tom Hanks is holding, it has the Rose Line and Silas, the the albino that's going through, he's finding this because he thinks on the Rose Line is going to be this, you know, a, a hint to hint to the whole story of Da Vinci Code, which I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but you definitely should see it. Um, but so this is the it doesn't really have anything to do with that. You'll come across the markers um, from the Palais, you know, going through the Palais Royale. You'll see them in the Jardin de Luxembourg, along the Seine, everywhere. So they go from the observatory that's in uh, kind of at the very end of the Luxembourg. And it goes all the way almost to the 18th. So you should be out there finding some on your walks with uh, Coco. Yeah, I have to keep an eye out. I've never seen any. Yeah, I do actually have the map of where they go because I've really nerded out on it before and even thought about like just doing a whole thing on a video of walking it. But it would become <laughs> difficult because some of them go like right through the Seine and everywhere. But 
the cruel thing is, is they are actually inside the Musée de Louvre. I have never noticed them. Neither do the people that work there. So I was in there one day and I had found out that they were in. There is a couple of them in the courtyard in the Cour Napoleon that's right around uh, the pyramid. But they're also the ones that go inside. And there's six of them that go inside through the Louvre. Um, the ones that are really easy to find right now, the ones in the Richelieu wing you could find some um in between the core marley and the core puget which is on the ground floor um just in between there you'll see one on the northernmost little passageway um also there's one up in the core puget up above that's underneath uh the thomas regano statue that he did of saturn um taking seabell and then there's one right behind there and then a third one lies between the escalators and then over in the denon wing right now where you where they are you two of them you can't see because it's close to restoration right now but there is one that's just on the uh, marble steps on the little landing when you're going from the wing victory, if you go down around the corner to go see Venus de Milo, you'll see one right there on the steps too. Well, now we all know where to look and actually take a, a picture that we won't recognize where it is. <laughs> yeah, you, I have so many pictures of those with different shoes I was wearing. And, you know, if I see them and it's with marble around it, then I'm like, OK, I know where that one is. But it is funny. I find them in the streets all the time and take pictures of them. But because you're taking a picture and looking down of this brass medallion, there's no reference to where it is. <laughs> but one day I was in there in the area where in the Denon Wing, which is closed right now to the public. I, I knew one was in there and I was trying to see and it was kind of the area was partially closed off and there was this little chair there sitting there for the guard for the guards. And I um, basically walked over and, and moved the chair a little and just nobody sitting in it. And the, they were like, Madame, Madame. And then I said, you know, I was like, I just un photo, s'il vous plaît. And they were like, looked at, they were like, of what? And then I had to tell them all about why they're what they were and why they were there. <laughs> I love that they don't even know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's kind of par for the course when it comes to comes to that. I mean, they don't have the most exciting job. And I think half of them don't really, really care too much. But another amazing thing in the Louvre um, is if you go into the lower level of the Louvre, there is the oldest part that you can see in the Louvre that goes back to the 12th century, but it was only discovered in 1984. Wow, that's super cool. So if you go in to the back of the Suli wing, so when you come in um, and underneath and you're coming, you know, underneath the pyramid, it's the middle entrance. And so that's the Suli wing. Uh, if you go straight through that entrance, scan your ticket and go all the way back and just keep going as far back as you can. You kind of take a left a little and then you look and you'll see this whole huge uh, medieval wall. And it goes back to the 12th century when Philippe Auguste built the Louvre as part of his wall that went around the city. And it was the Louvre was originally built as just a medieval fortress. It wasn't built to be a castle. It just was kind of like this building that was along the wall. And so in 1984, um, they discovered it because when Henry the Four, Francois Premier, decided to tear everything down, um, and then later Henry the Fourth finished it. They the stuff that was above ground, the building that was above ground, that's easy. You take that down and you use the stones for other things, and that's it. But what you are walking through, if you see this in the Louvre, is 
you're going through the moat. You're literally walking through the moat in between the wall and the medieval structure. So you're not going to tear that down because it's already below the, you know, the surface of the ground. You just fill it in. You fill it in with dirt and junk. And when they discovered this, when they discovered it when they were doing the pyramid project. And so everybody sees the pyramid just there in the middle of the courtyard of the Louvre. But that project actually extends really, really far into the Tuileries Garden. And underneath there, you have a parking garage that's a massive parking garage so they could park huge buses in. They could bring giant trucks in through there to deliver things to the Louvre. They have auditoriums for the Ecole de Louvre. There's shopping mall. There's a food court down there. There's all, there's even an expo space. There's tons of stuff down there. And so then they thought they'd keep going the other direction, like towards, you know, towards the West. And then that is uh, when they decide, when they found digging around all of this uh, ancient uh, medieval structure. So in that, they also found over a hundred thousand objects that included pottery, jewelry, medieval armor, everything in there. Um, and then like some of that stuff that they do actually have on display in the Louvre, which is really cool. But, you know, I'm sure that they got to that point where like, uh oh, well, plans changed. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. So and I think that they have to have, do this. You know, there's recently they were doing some work at the um, at the Institut de France, which is not too far from me. And the same thing, digging around in there. Oops. Can't you know, they find I mean, I'm sure in Paris especially here in the center of the city, there's so much of that because it goes back to Roman times that I'm sure that all these construction sites have to have like an archaeologist on hand. Yeah, and I've read that it happens all the time where they're doing construction and they find these ancient ruins and then they can't build what they want to build. Yeah, and recently they were just doing some stuff that's actually, if you go to the end of the Luxembourg and you're looking straight ahead and you see the observatory, they were doing work right around there and they found like a, a dozen sarcophagus buried underneath the ground. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. So, you know, just add, you know, and, and I'm sure lots of rats is all I imagine. But when you go down here and it's one of my favorite places to take people and it used to be before COVID, nobody went down there. Like it would just be me singing and dancing my way through the stones. And now it's just tons of people. But if it's a really hot day in Paris and a hot day in the Louvre and you've been in the den on wing, go down there because it's like it, it's like 30 degrees cooler because you're underground and it's amazing. But one of the coolest things about it is you get really close to kind of where the round tower parts are and look up at the stones. There's one corner um, that is covered. It has lots of hearts on each of the stones. There are hearts. Some of them have circles. Some of them just have slashes. Some have um, a cross. Some even look like a kind of a funny looking fish hook. And those, uh, those marks were not made by tourists, which originally I thought what jerk of a tourist came and did this at the Louvre. But those things go back to the 12th century because the stone carvers each had their own mark. And the way that they got paid at the end of the week was by how many stones they cut, not just them going to work from nine to five and surfing on your computer all day, which was some people do. They actually had to produce something. And so at the end of the week, they were like, OK, the guy with the heart, he carved, you know, 50 stones. And this is what he's going to get paid. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so I love looking at those and pointing them out. When I did a um, 
a kind of this special VIP tour, which is how I met my friend Jacques, who's a VIP tour guide for the Louvre. And it was a special thing through Airbnb. And you got to go in there one day when it was closed. And it started down there. And he was, you know, showing people this. And I thought, oh, for sure, he's going to tell them about these marks because this is the coolest thing about it. And he didn't. And it was making me crazy. And so finally, I just pretend I was not very smart. And I said, what are those things over there? And he was like, oh, I'm glad you asked. And then we started walking and he goes, you knew what those things were, didn't you? And I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> like I just now, to tell people. <laughs> I know, but I was like, it's such, I told him, it's such a cool story and people love to hear it. I didn't want it to be missed. And now he and I are actually very good friends. So, you know, it all, it all worked out in the end. But it is really cool to see those and just see how many of the different um, shapes that you could spot and just know that that was somebody that, you know, that was their painstaking job. And when they were doing um, in the 70s, in 1977, they were doing the same thing at Notre Dame, but going to go down there, build a huge parking structure, again, ran into all these you know, old medieval uh, bases of the chapels that originally sat there before Notre Dame. And on Notre Dame itself, they had found some stones and they have some of the exact same shapes, like the hearts and the squares. And while those shapes might not be like, oh my gosh, that's nobody's ever heard of a square before. Most likely it's the same family because back then you'd have five or six generations of the men in the family did that same job. That's so wild. I need to read more about this. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, one Another thing on the Louvre, one of my favorite little things that most people um, don't really notice, especially because it's on the very far side of the Louvre that most people don't walk through. But on the Colonnade de Perro, um, at the very end, so this is at the side that looks over towards Saint-Germain-Lexoir, um, it's that that colonnade was uh, named after our architect Claude Perrault, um, who was under Louis XIV, who decided added this design on there. This was actually the original entrance. So this was the entrance that you would use to go into um, the palace at one time. And so Louis XIV um, had him do this. And so at the top of it, um, he ended up never finishing it. So he, the Sun King, Mr. Louis XIV, decided in the middle of it to up and leave and move his court to Versailles. And so it left this whole entire back part of the wing unfinished. Um, it did not have a roof on it for almost uh, over a hundred years. And it took Napoleon Bonaparte to finally finish it up and make it happen. Um, the emperor wanted to leave his lasting impression. So he had Francois Frederic Lamont um, add that on there just for him by adding on to the uh, doorway there that faces Saint-Germain-Lexoir. At the top of the pavilion, there is a bust of a man with a long curly haired wig. But if you look really closely at it, it's actually the face of Napoleon, but with a curly wig on. Because during the restoration in 1850, 1815 of by Louis XVIII, he, the Bourbons were back in power. They wanted to scrub all traces of Napoleon from the city. And so they just decided, let's just stick a wig on him. And then they think it's Louis XIV. That's hilarious. <laughs> and if you look, if you look, I mean, it's really high up there. Get out your phone and zoom in, take a picture of it and zoom in. And you can see that it is very definitely the face of Napoleon with a very curly wig. But if you look to the allegory next to him, she's holding a um, shield and on the shield are actually Napoleonic bees. So they forgot to cover those up. 
That is so funny. I have to look at those. You got to post those on the website. Oh yeah. I'll have all the pictures of this, but that is kind of one of my hidden, my, one of my very favorite hidden treasures of the Louvre. And I don't, I never take people back there because it's so far at the end, but the new director, well, she's been there for two years, but Laurence Descartes, she wants to add that back into being an entrance. So Probably, hopefully, in the next year or so, probably by the Olympics, they're going to have an entrance back there. So maybe more people will see it now. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, another one, and these most of all these things are just outside the Louvre. So anybody could walk around and see those, which I always uh, tell people to do, especially uh, when you're here. Do it one night. Do one night after the sun is set and the lights turn on and just walk around the Louvre uh, because it's absolutely gorgeous when it's lit up at night. Um, but, you know, the Louvre kept that, you know, was a palace, of course, for a long time. And so all of the different, uh, you know, leaders, kings and emperors that came along added their initials onto the building. Um, so the construction basically is well over 500 years. Um, and but if you know where to look and you know the different initials, you kind of it actually you could figure out who did what by looking at the building um, on the Quai Francois Mitterrand, just um, underneath the Pavillon de la Seguerre, um, and the Place de Carousel. If you look down actually on the ground, you will actually see in the stone where people are standing there waiting to cross for the light to turn on one side is an H. For Henry the Fourth, and on the other side of the street is the end for Napoleon the Third, and most people will never notice this. Sometimes I've taken pictures of it, and I'm always standing there trying to get pictures, and people look down at the ground and then look at me like I'm crazy. What is she doing? <laughs> but it is. It's just the stone that they use. It's just a tiny shade darker. But it's you. Once you know this and you look, you it's hard to miss the N and the H. Well, we all know what we're doing on our next trip. Exactly. Just walk around. But that that guichet, which is what that is called right there, where the cars go through. And I'm sure you have been in a taxi many a times and you've gone through there. But that never at one point that was never open. So when um, Henry the fourth and they started to build the whole um, grand gallery, it was started in 1607. It was finally went on until 1663 when Louis the 13th and Louis the 14th added and changed to it. But in 1861, Napoleon III changed the whole thing again because when the other guy, when the guys in the 17th century did it, it was just the building down to the ground, and that was it. But Napoleon III, because he was also going through and cutting through the city, adding these wide boulevards, doing all of this, they actually took it apart and lifted it up so that they could cut through it, so they could have those three different bays, so people could drive through. I had no idea. And I love that drive too. It's so crazy to think, okay, I'm driving through the Louvre right now. I know. And I always, anytime I'm in like a taxi or Uber, I always like try to record it with my phone. And then it's always so bumpy. <laughs> and you're just like, you look at it later and it's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now they only let taxis drive through there. Yeah. They're not letting a lot of other, uh, yeah, they're not letting a lot of people. Sometimes they just close it off altogether except for buses. Um, and every once in a while, like today, um, I was walking through there and a, a policeman was letting some people through, but not everybody. So it's, uh, it gets, sometimes it could add a lot of time on, um, your day because if you can't get through there and you need to come to the left bank, you go around, um, quite a long ways. Yeah, it's we have the best one. We just shoot through there before anyone notices. Yeah, that's good. Um, but if you stand back, you know, walk a little farther from there and then look up. 
So at the the, the pavilion, uh, Lady Guerre, they um, one the right hand side is raised up a tiny bit, um, and then when they did that one, they added one on the other side, which was the pavilion tramway, and those were both leaders under um, and the, the ancient regime, so under Louis the Fourteenth. But if you look up really really high, there's these little two kind of um, kind of little like gazebo looking things and the one that's on the top that's going east so Montmartre's north and so look at the one that's on the east look closely maybe again take your phone out take a picture there are some gold stars and in the middle of the stars are ends but the one on this side the ends on that whole entire little um gazebo up there are all the ends are backwards no way. And they don't know why. They don't know if they were somebody who just didn't like Napoleon the Third, or somebody was, you know, they were an anti-Bonaparte or they just didn't, they just didn't care. And they, maybe they made a mirrored copy of another one, but it's very funny because that only that side, if you look on the other side, the Pavillon Rouen, which is on the Rue de Rivoli side, it's totally normal. Maybe someone was just drunk at work, you know. Some could have been, but it is funny. There are these funny little things that there's. They really don't know why. That's very strange. Yeah. Um, another one is a little bit farther away, but it's take this as a little walk over to the Place des Vosges, and there is a pillar in there um, on the Place des Vosges, which is you know one of the most beautiful little parks. It's also one of the only parks you could actually sit and lay down on the grass, which is a nice you know a, a lovely option to have. But it's just so pretty in there. There's all those. There's great little shops in there, great restaurants. But if you're walking around and just go to um, number eleven Place des Vosges, which is if you're walking in from um, coming up from the south, if you go in the door at the Pavillon de Bois go to the left and then it's kind of right after the corner is number 11 and then go out to the pillar that's out on the street side. So there'll probably be a car parked right in front of it. But if you go up there and you look, you're going to find one of the oldest graffiti in Paris. It's still there and it dates back to 1764. How do, oh, Wow. So they know that's the oldest one that's still there. It's the oldest one still there. That's in a public place. I've been in places like I've been in, um, the tower, um, I was taking the church of San Sulpice. Somebody took me upstairs to into um, into the tower. And there was some that had people where they wrote like 1722 on the wall, which I about died. But this is one of the oldest ones that's out there just in public. And it was a man from Burgundy. His name was uh, Nicolas Restif de La Breton. He left a little something behind. He lived from 1734 to 1806 and was a printmaker and typographer that moved to Paris and later became this controversial author who was strolled through the cities for inspiration, leaving behind hundreds of little markings on the city walls. He was given the very fitting nickname of the, the Griffon which is means the scribbler by the residents of Paris. Today, only one mark remains, and it's here in the Place des Vosges. It says 1764 Nicolas, and it's etched just as clear as the day. It can be seen, you know, over 250 years later in the very same space. Um, but it's pretty amazing. It's not um, a lot of people. I have gone, I went through there one day with some clients and I was showing it to them. And there was another line of people trying to see it. <laughs> so more people know where it is. 
Um, but it is pretty cool that they've just left it there. Hopefully they don't ever have to replace that pillar or what that maybe they'll put it in the carnival a then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause we don't want to, we don't want to lose that. It's pretty cool. Um, and then it's because it is considered the right bank. Um, our last little hidden gem is over at Notre Dame. And while you can't really see this one right now, we anxiously await that day, December 8th, 2024, that I could get close enough to see it again. Uh, but it's on the doors. And, you know, there's the old saying that they say the devil is in the details. And that's what I love to say about this one. Um, this was in the 13th century, a young locksmith named Biscornet, we only know his last name, um, was asked, you know, he was asked if he could do a door with um, forging of iron for Notre Dame. And he said, oh, yes, I could do it. And I could do it really fast. And it's going to be really inexpensive and no problem, not a problem at all. So he gets this, he gets the book, he gets the commission, he's going to do it. Uh, but then he was like, how am I actually going to do this? He was given the task to create the hinges, the decoration and the locks for the great doors of the front, of the three huge doors of the front of Notre Dame. And if you remember what those look like, they're gorgeous. And the whole entire door is is covered with this scrolling, beautiful kind of floral iron. Um, but he was overwhelmed by the promise. Uh, he was toiling away for months and he finally asked for help. Um, they say that when the um, uh, the helper arrived a few days later, they found him asleep in his workshop in front of the front doors. The three sets of doors had actually been finished. And as you can see, when you go back there and I'll, I'll have a picture on my website, they are amazing. But the legend has it that he sold his soul to the devil to complete the monumental task. And then after they were finished, he died shortly thereafter. Yikes. Yeah. So there's, and I have done so much to find out, like, what was his last name? What was the name of the locksmith he worked at? You can't find, it's really hard to find anything more than just pretty much what I just told you. But one of the things was when the doors were put in place and the church was inaugurated, nobody could open the doors. They tried everything. They had the key. They it would they would feel it move, but it would never fully open until a priest came up and sprinkled holy water on the lock and on the hinges, and then it opened. Do we believe that story? I don't know. I mean, it <laughs> is the church, and it is in Notre Dame, and I still am going to go by the fact that there was a piece of the relic of saint jean in the rooster on top of the spire, and that is why I believe it was not fully destroyed, because she continued to save it. I believe that story. Yeah. But the doors, either way, they're pretty amazing when you see them. And I can't wait to get back in there and get close to them again. And how much longer do you think we got to wait for that? Till December 8th, 2024. You think they're really going to get it done? Yeah, I've uh, I've talked to the main architect, my boyfriend, Philippe Villeneuve. He's not <laughs> really my boyfriend. I just wishfully think he was. But he actually told me they were ahead of schedule. Okay, well, that's good news. I know it's taking a long time because they have to do special methods and all that. Well, they already have taken, they're already taking, they're already finished things on the inside. They're taking down the entire inside of it is completely covered in scaffolding. And it most of that is now coming down because their inside of it is they're finishing everything. Very, very exciting. Yes. Super exciting. Well, guys, make sure you tune in next week for the next Hidden Secrets of Paris and head on over to ClaudineHemingway.com to learn more. 
Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, claudinehemingway.com.